they've been quite specific um, here. So the, the the reason this is so significant is that these proposed milestones are automatic. So they don't miss, missing a milestone does not give the TO the right to cancel your offer. It automatically results in the cancellation of your construction agreement. Um, so uh, that's that's missing the kind of the first st- set of milestones, things like land rights and planning. So these are likely to be significantly higher impact. There are a couple of exception clauses, um, but it is designed to be a list of um, in, in, a, a com- comprehensive list of allowable exceptions. So unless you, you meet the letter of one of those, which consists of things like uh, judicial reviews, for example, um, they, they are not as flexible as the distribution ENA milestones. Um, so I think we are expected to have quite a significant impact. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Welcome to Road Knight Taylor's The Connectology Podcast. I'm joined by Catherine Cleary and Nikki Pillinger and I'm Pete Aston and we are talking about uh, the most up-to-date grid news and views that we've got for you. So this is our second grid news and view session. Um, so we hope you enjoyed the first one. Lots more to talk about today. Um, so Catherine, I'm going to go over to you to start with. Bring us sort of your juicy nuggets today of good news and views. Thanks, Pete. And hi, everyone. Right. So I think I've got two items up for today. And um, first one, uh, connections reform. So which we've probably heard lots of, but for everyone, uh, this is National Grid's long term connections reform piece. So we've just closed the window on the consultation response. So uh, and Gesso have come out with some kind of proposals about how long term reform is, is, is kind of needed um, and what they might do uh, to change the connections process. So this is going to change things like applications, how you apply to National Grid for a connection, um, when you can apply. So they are proposing um, that their preferred approach um, is what we call a, a windowed approach. They are proposing that there will be a window potentially annually um, when you can apply. Um, and it will also change the connections process itself. So what happens after you've made the application and the offer that comes back from National Grid and how that gets kind of developed and your queue position. So quite a lot of information in that consultation sort of documentation. Um, it's about 100 pages long. Um, they, I think it's probably worth us summarising the fact that they have proposed a preferred option. Um, Road Knight Taylor have re- responded. I think we know lots of our clients have responded. So, um, you know, well done, everyone, I think, for kind of uh, getting through 100 pages and 30, 30 odd questions, was it? Um, so um, so that we're, that's kind of back with National Grid. Um, and I guess we're probably expecting a sort of industry update, um, you know, maybe sort of end of September, October um, in terms of that consultation. Uh, and in terms of the consultation itself, it's very much a sort of medium term plan isn't it it's, it's not due to kick in for what a couple of years yeah exactly um so it, and this is separate to their strategic initiatives their five-point plan um, or tactical initiatives so those are the things which they're kind of trying to implement sort of straight away so this is a longer term view and i think realistically we probably are going to expect another consultation um so this did not propose you know a final scheme there's quite a lot still to be discussed kind of devil in the detail um so i suppose we're expecting to hear more from NGSO as that reform piece goes on, um, you know, as I say, kind of towards the end of the year. And and this also includes how distribution companies apply to the transmission company for 
capacity as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I guess we, we talked about that last grid news and views because I sort of said, you know, distribution customers definitely want to reply to this too. Um, so our, our Road Night Taylor's response has already kind of highlighted some issues which we think um, need re resolving to make sure that distri small distribution customers aren't disadvantaged by the idea of there being one annual window um, to kind of get these applications in. Um, so yeah, it does cover um, effectively what the new kind of statement of works project progression process will be. And do we know exactly when ESO is going to come back with updates on the, the consultation outputs? No, no, no published dates yet. Um, my September, October guesstimate is based on when the scrutiny panel, which I sit on, is meeting next. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let everyone know as soon as there is a, an update. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Catherine, for that. Um, Catherine, I think you had a few more items on your list. Do you want to, you want to go for another one? Uh, yeah, so um, fresher news. Um, so this probably hasn't been, uh, we haven't talked about this before, um, but um, relatively recently there has been a new uh, CUSC mod, so modification to the uh, commercial connection use system charging um, to change the way that demand customers at transmission have to pay securities and liabilities. This is something which a few of our clients have come up against when they've had things like hydrogen schemes or demand owned transmission connection schemes um, and uh, they will people have discovered um, that actually the kind of securities and liabilities process which we're quite familiar with for generators uh, it's often referred to as um, the CMP192 process um, which was the original cusk mod that brought it in about 10 years ago um, that process um, which sets out things like uh, attributable works um, and wider cancellation charges and sets out the percentages which you have to secure as cash um, that does not apply to other types of users so if you're things like a dno or a demand customer currently you are still bound by the very very old process called final sums so that was sort of brought in about 25 years ago pre pre 2013 um the proposal um, which I think we probably at Ray Knight Taylor think is very sensible, is that they are going to try and align all transmission users to the the, the CMP192 process, so which is the, the process generators uh, and battery storage currently use. So this is kind of you know, a bit niche, I appreciate, but it is big news if you have got a demand connection and at the moment you are facing you know, the potential for there to be, to be significant securities. So if you, if you happen to be a very large transmission-connected hydrogen electrolysis scheme or something like that um, this could be actually really beneficial for you uh, and something to really get stuck into and understand yeah definitely so, so and it's and for those customers um it's cmp417 um, and it has it has just been launched okay perfect uh right i'm gonna bring uh, my own news item i think it was a couple of weeks ago the the ena gave a, a webinar um on one of the outcomes of their three-point plan that they've been working on recently to try and accelerate connections. And one of the things that they were looking at is the, the sort of distribution transmission boundary. Uh, and so um, what, what they brought out of that is um, the ability for um, the transmission company to provide technical limits for DNOs at grid supply points, for DNOs to then manage the power flows, those technical limits at the grid supply point, such that they, the DNOs can allow um, effectively as many customers as, as, as they might want to connect uh, onto that grid supply point, um, so long as they don't then, those customers don't then exceed those technical limits. So, so essentially implementing some sort of 
flexible connection, active network management, that sort of thing for customers to basically have a non-firm connection, uh, non-firm access connection prior to all those wider transmission reinforcements. So it sounds like a really good news story for um, distribution customers to be able to get connected um, prior to all these sort of really big transmission reinforcements that are happening. Um, so the potential for a scheme that might have a 2037 connection date now to being potentially able to connect um, maybe within a few years. I guess we don't have the, the exact detail on it yet. Um, the, the sort of phase one rollout of this was going to be 45 as yet unnamed GSPs. Uh, Asking my question, Pete. Yeah. Have they named them yet? <laughs> Not as far as I'm aware. They probably know. Uh, I think the only thing that we did know uh, was it wasn't going to be infrastructure sites. So that's you know shared use sites where there's like two DNOs or a DNO and another large customer. Um, and it wasn't going to be really complex sites, which also tend to be infrastructure sites. Um, so, so it seems like it's going to be the, the the more sort of straightforward connection asset sites. Forty five of them. We don't know quite how they come up exactly which schemes they um, pulled out, but there were some criteria that they published as to um, how they picked these forty five sites. Um, so I think everyone's waiting with bated breath as to see which sites. Uh, they are, and exactly how the DNOs are then going to roll this out. Um, so lots of unknowns, but I think it was a really positive um, outcome. I think at least one of you two was on the listening to the webinar as well, were you? Or you you kept caught up to it afterwards? Yeah, I think I think that was me. Um, I was going to say I know that uh, Ronan Taylor had a webinar a couple of days later where um, we had the ENA on as well, um, and there were a lot of questions. I think people chasing the publication of that slide pack. Um, so I think I know that uh, Ronan Taylor are planning to send an email out with a link to that. I'm pretty sure it's come out now. Great. So so that's good. Uh, so I think that was a really positive outcome. Um, I guess I guess there was always a certain amount of scepticism when there's this five-point plan from the ESO and three-point plan from the ENA. So to actually see something positive actually coming out from that's really good. Um, so so I'm pleased and hopefully that um, that's really good news for uh, for developers. So I think this is a good point for us to take a break. So we will be back with you in just a few minutes. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. Welcome back. We're talking all things grid news and views. Right, I'm going to switch over to Nikki. Uh, I know you've sort of been looking at uh, some news items, Nikki. What have you got for us? So I was going to do a bit of a wider news item today. So obviously we've had quite a few um, consultations recently, um, but I wanted to look at what's going on sort of in the wider world of renewables. So Energy UK has actually... Um, Done, uh, done some numbers and they've forecast that the UK is actually going to have the slowest growth in low carbon generation of the world's uh, eighth largest economies between now and 2030, um, which is, is quite damning really given how much sort of investment and time we are actually sort of putting into this and, and also how much policy change we've had recently. You know, there was very little government policy came out about energy for, for several years. And now over the last few years, we've actually had a, a great number of sort of white papers and policies come out about what we're going to do about our, our energy needs. Um, 
So we actually need to invest 1.4 trillion pounds um, into our net zero goal um, by 2050. So is that just in the UK? Yeah, so this is just in the UK. Um, so this is apparently about 10 times the government's estimated capital spending um, for 23-24, which is a huge amount of money. Um, but about 70% of that is having to come from the private sector. Um, and the UK is actually not presenting a great face in terms of investment in renewables at the moment. Um, so the contracts for difference um, has actually gone down from 285 million to 205 million in the last funding round. Other than this, I think investment in energy infrastructure is it's being talked about quite a lot. But whenever I speak to um, people within DNOs, um, it, it's not happening fast enough. Um, and, and it's also very complex, you know, no one likes a new 400 kV overhead line going anywhere near them. So it's kind of all very well postulating that we can do all of these things and it's incredibly positive, but it, it is going to take a long time and that does need to be sort of thought about. And we've got, obviously we've got the NGSO's five point plan to actually now look at how we're going to probably utilize the network capacity that we have a little bit better. Um, I think it's interesting at the moment because we've got this sort of climate of we need to do something. Um, but it's almost a little bit limbo in that we've got a lot of developers who are waiting to see what the, the outcome of the five point plan is going to be. We're not quite sure what that's going to be. And it's quite difficult to say to, to investors and landowners and people that probably don't know as much about the nuances of grid, you know, what we're waiting for and why we're waiting for it. Um, and investors not really having that confidence in, you know, are they going to be able to build batteries quickly enough for them to make money? Is solar going to make money in the middle of the day in the summer? You know, we've had several, off, you know, we've had um, sort of musings in the offshore wind sector that, you know, some offshore wind farms aren't going to be able to get built on their current contracts for difference um, levels just because everything's increased so much recently. So I think what I would potentially want from sort of the wider industry and from the government is actually some more sort of certainty mechanisms about where this investment is going to come from. I think we need to cast the net a little bit wider. I think we need to be a little bit more imaginative, uh, probably about what technologies that we might be considering supporting, um, and also about where we're going to put this investment in grid infrastructure and how we're going to do that. We, I know we've spoken about um, SGT charging quite a lot, but we do need to have that investment put in so that people actually have the confidence that they can can go and build a project without that risk that they might have a 10, 10 million pound bill for an SGT at the end of it. Um, so yeah, I suppose what, what I'm sort of calling for is more certainty um, and more certainty in that investment as well, especially in networks. Yeah, it's interesting how how much the network restrictions we've seen recently feed into that figure of sort of growth prediction um, and and how much is relating to sort of non-grid issues, planning and, and other things. But um, it, it's certainly good, at least, that there are things happening that might start to accelerate growth. Um, but yeah, I guess some sobering statistics as to uh, how we need to pull our socks up a bit and <laughs> get, get on with it a bit faster. But yeah, thank you for that, Nikki. That was really good. Um, before I hand over to Catherine for um, another item, uh, I just wanted to pick up on something that Nikki just mentioned, which was the issue of how we um, charge for supergrid transformer reinforcements. So um, supergrid transformers 
and on certain types of substation are charged to distribution customers who trigger those reinforcements, whereas other types of substation infrastructure sites, they, they are not charged. So there's a real postcode lottery for STT charging at the moment. Um, so, so we currently have a uh, plan in place to write an open letter to Ofgem on this issue uh, to set out, um, set out the concerns that the industry's got, set out some options for how it could be addressed. You know, with, with I guess the ultimate aim to potentially have SGT charging socialized uh, and to bring it in line with other transmission reinforcements. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think developers, all developers we talk to find this frustrating um, and in many ways a blocker because uh, there are GSPs that are already uh, charging for, for SGT's reinforcement and uh, SGT reinforcement causes um, a massive great uh, risk because it's not just the the split of that charge that you get to start with it's the fact that that charge can increase as other customers pull out um, so there's a whole raft of issues with it um, so yeah we're hopefully going to be pulling together over the summer an open letter to Ofgem on that basis um, and Ofgem if you're listening we hope you listen and engage with the industry on this so yeah Catherine I was just going to pass over to you in terms of thoughts around queue management yeah, okay, I think this is probably quite a brief update this time around. Um, the modification proposal to introduce queue management at transmission, um, so those of you who really like your CMP numbers, that's CMP376, um, has gone to Ofgem. Um, we did a bit of an update on this last time. Um, the proposed uh, or expected decision date from Ofgem remains the middle of September, so the 15th of September. So no news at the moment, um, and hopefully we'll have some by the time we do our next grid news and views. Yeah, okay, and that's going to have quite big implications for lots of transmission-connected schemes, uh, and especially because Ofgem have got a, a quite a few options, haven't they, as to how those milestones might be uh, retrospectively passed on yeah. to existing schemes. I think th that is the big one, really. There were um, there were over um, 11 alternative proposals that were taken to Ofgem. Um, the, the thing which we are really looking for is to understand a, a couple of those proposals suggested that these milestones would be retrospectively applied to the queue. So effectively, if you had submitted an application and been sitting on an accepted offer for the last few years, you might receive a, a variation agreement and be forced onto um, something which contained milestones. Um, or they, they might opt for a softer approach which just meant that any time a customer varied their connection so the next time you had to submit a mod app to move a date or to change technology parameter um, then you would receive something which had milestones in it so a kind of gradual shift to get everyone onto milestones so that's that's the kind of big decision which we uh, we're waiting for yeah and, and when when that comes out we'll all have to digest it and then there'll be lots of conversations with developers to go well this is what the decision was what does this then mean for your schemes um, and you know what's what's the strategy to, to deal yeah. with it? I, I mean I, I guess it probably is worth saying you know developers should very much be looking at their transmission portfolios in terms of if they're expecting to need to put forward mod apps on schemes um, you know do they want to do that now um, as opposed to waiting potentially until after September um, and um, yeah I mean I guess the earliest implementation date that we're talking about this could be October this year. Do, do we believe this is going to be a genuinely hard barrier? Because my experience with the DNOs has been that, you know, we have milestones, but you can actually negotiate with the DNO. You know, there's a level of pragmatism that, you know, things go wrong. You know, landowner negotiations take longer. Environmental studies take longer than you think they're going to. And, and there's always kind of been that level of 
okay, well, we appreciate that you are working on this, but we know it might take a little bit longer. So I just wonder what your view on, on that transmission angle was. No, they've, they've been quite specific um, here. So the, the, the reason that this is so significant is that these proposed milestones are automatic so they don't miss, missing a milestone does not give the TO the right to cancel your offer. It automatically results in the cancellation of your construction agreement. Um, so uh, that's that's missing the kind of the first st- set of milestones, things like land rights and planning. So these are likely to be significantly higher impact. There are a couple of exception clauses, um, but it is designed to be a list of um, in, you know, a, a comp- comprehensive list of allowable exceptions. So unless you you meet the letter of one of those which consist of things like uh, judicial reviews, for example, um, they they are not as flexible as the distribution ENA milestones. Um, so I think we are expecting this to have quite a significant impact. Okay, so I think just one last item then. Uh, just I was going to pick up on um, project progression thresholds. So this is um, the, the size of generation scheme uh, that avoids going through the project progression process, statement of works process with National Grid. So at present in England and Wales, it's set to one megawatt. Um, one of the issues is at the moment, no one quite knows what that one megawatt refers to. Does it refer to an export capacity? Does it refer to an installed capacity? Um, this just isn't published anywhere. Um, every DNO seems to apply it differently. Um, and so, uh, and the, the, the megawatt thresholds are different in Scotland as well, because they're generally smaller. I think in SSE's area, it's 50, Kilowatts, isn't it? Um, so, so, so this really needs some clarification. So, uh, we did ask in the um, ENA's webinar that they gave a couple of weeks ago a question as to was this going to be addressed as part of their three-point plan. They said they will take it away and consider it. So, who knows what that means as to whether they'll actually address this or not? Uh, but um, we certainly need to be um, hammering away at the ENA to try and get this resolved. So, it, it needs to be firstly clarified. And I think that project progression threshold needs to be raised as well to allow rooftop solar schemes to be able to progress um, on a lot more sort of installations that, that haven't done it already. Um, so I think that's all we've got, unless Nikki and Catherine are going to jump in with anything else. No shaking of heads. OK, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you tune in again to our next podcast. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Roadnight Taylor Connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.